Hey, it's Arlene Bunnan. I'm filling in for Alex Pearson on On Point. What a day for news. Today, more cases in Toronto and shutdowns. We will get into the deep dive of what this means to the city, but a bombshell story. It started this morning from Washington. The president and his wife testing positive for COVID-19 then being moved later in the day to Walter Reed Hospital. The president hearing reporting that he was only having mild symptoms, but then the move to Washington. We follow this story on what it means around the world, what it means for the American election. And then we'll get into what the city can do about the rising cases, a disturbing hike today, and then a reaction from the premier and the city of Toronto with more restrictions. And we'll try to lighten things up on a busy day. Speaking to a first-time local author about her children's book, Patty and the Pandemic. Here we go. As the coronavirus still takes the upper hand locally and in the province of Ontario, across the country, and internationally as we watch what is happening with the President of the United States. We're going to talk about everything that's happened in the province and the city of Toronto. Joining us is David Ryder, Toronto Star City Hall Bureau Chief. David, welcome. Hey, how are you? I am good. What a day when it comes to this virus. (laughs) What a a day indeed. I uh, I made the mistake of of seeing the Trump news late last night and stayed up too late watching it, and then I had a very busy day today. So, yeah. Yeah, I I, I joked on Twitter that I have a news hangover, and I think everybody's kind of feeling that. You do, and you may have another deep, dark night tonight as we watch the president get taken to Walter Reed. That's kind of hanging over things as we look at what's happening in Toronto. It's really added, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, we're Toronto's dealing with this kind of like surge in cases, which is is feels like a runaway freight train. Um, you know, not that long ago, it felt like we sort of had the situation under control, and that sort of seems, you know, it's out there, but but you you know, most of us still don't know somebody who's seriously ill. And then you see the president of the United States walking to a helicopter to get some experimental treatment. So. Yeah, it's it, it's all playing together. It's all like a, a state of kind of high anxiety. But um, a friend of mine said, you know, this year you couldn't, if you wrote it, no script writer, nobody would believe it. And it's 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 exactly true. It is. I mean, the the campaign and the mocking of the mask, and then there we go. It really, it really is reading like some kind of a parable so far. And yeah. we will see what happens. We do know the president has been given a couple of drugs. Some of them, uh, epidemiologists say, are, are a bit unusual. Let's get closer to home. We've got Premier yeah. Ford calling out the dangers here in Ontario, uh, telling us about these red zones as we had another yeah. day. There were record high new cases and yeah. a real different feel even from President from Premier Ford today. Yeah, I mean, definitely the, you know, there there had been concern about the rising, but they were also sort of urging caution, I think, uh, from both the city of Toronto and from Premier Ford today, you had kind of this is a major concern, a major situation. And I think the you know the the number of infections in the hot zones, which are primarily Toronto, kind of Peel region, which is Mississauga and Brampton, just to the west of us, and then Ottawa, um, 
and you've had the numbers going up. It, the, a lot of the people getting infected are relatively young and people you, you know that are not as prone to the serious um, health impacts. I think the real fear now, and Mayor Tory both voiced it today, is that it will get back into the long-term care homes, where essentially you know we had 20 or 30 people in a single home dying within a short period of time. That's that's the nightmare scenario. Is that's where we're heading back. And um, you know I think the number for Toronto they said was that. Uh, the number of, of long-term care homes or seniors homes of different kinds that had COVID outbreaks had gone from three to nine within a relatively short period of time. So uh, they're definitely, I'd say the province is in, in sort of a heightened alert in Toronto, especially, but there is a situation where there are parts of Ontario, like there are parts of Canada mm-hmm. that are, don't have much of it at all. So it's a, it's kind of a strange sort of uh, a strange situation where, you know, we have parts that are on high alert and then other parts that really are just hoping to continue to not have too much of it. And the solution to that has been a a call for a regional kind of reaction. And there has been, however, Premier Ford today with mandatory masks across the province. Yeah. And now I guess we wait, David, how is that going to go over? We've seen some people kicking up a fuss. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 my hunch is in a lot Mm -hmm. of parts of the province that it won't really change much. I mean, some people, people who are concerned about it will wear it and people who aren't won't. I mean, the fact is even in Toronto, we've had a a mandatory mask order for some time. And I recently, you know, somebody had called me and said, you know, they they knew that in Loblaws and, and, and the, um, and, and other stores owned by the same company, that essentially managers being told kind of not to enforce it, not to force it. So I phoned the company and they said, yeah, like we're not police. We don't want to get in verbal confrontations with our customers. So, you know, we urge it, but there's not much we can do about it. So uh, I'll be surprised if the, if the premier's mandatory mask order dramatically changes the number of people wearing masks in Ontario. And there's also been a request from the province that people uh, only have close contact with those they live with. Yeah. So here we are back to that and a real sense of urgency here again. How can they how can they enforce that? Uh, again, we don't know. And are people going to to follow it? Um, you know, there was uh, uh, rules around how many people you're supposed to gather with uh, this fall. And in Toronto, anyway, the, the public health officials are saying, Obviously, people weren't following that because we wouldn't be in the mess we're back into. You know, there was supposed to be uh, uh, limits of how many people indoors and how many people outdoors. And it was supposed to go for private gatherings mm-hmm. like weddings and also for, you know, um, or like if you had a, a, a function of bunker hall, but, but also house parties. And they're just saying people were not following the rules because the number of infections would not be spreading as rapidly as it is if they had. So, again, are, are people going to follow it? I guess most of us are just watching and waiting. I mean, I, I was talking to a friend, and, you know, I'm saying everybody I know, I think, has been following mm-hmm. it. And they said, yeah, me too. But they also said they knew of somebody who was purposely going to have a wedding with more than the 50 people that was allowed and, and that some of their friends were saying they they'd call the cops on them if they did it. So it's happening. And uh, hopefully now that the real, the you know, the red light is flashing and the alarm is going off, hopefully at least fewer people will, will break the rules. You know, I know city city council was having a, a meeting. What was it like today as residents were told only to leave their home for essential trips as this comes you know, from it, a public it, health it, official? I've covered city council for a decade. It's a funny yeah. thing. It, it continued on. There was, 
<laughs> Yesterday and the day before, there was talk about COVID. Today, the talk was actually golf courses. <laughs> yeah, I saw you tweeting <laughs> about was, that. Yeah, mm. what to do with the city golf courses? And there was actually a lot of passion over that. So the only thing I will say is that the, the impact of COVID is that counselors are still, some counselors are taking the, the, um, the uh, advice to stay home to heart. So some were, were basically phoning in with a Zoom type arrangement. Some went to the council chamber in person, but there's still lots of technical glitches. It's like, you know, counselors unmuting themselves when they're not supposed to and then talking when they're not. And so it's, the, the meetings are kind of, kind of a nightmare to, to be in. And, 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 and they always are anyway, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you, you got a bit of that, but, um, but yeah, they, they have the weekend off, but boy, I bet next week there's going to be lot, lots more talk about what city council could and should and can do and the mayor and the, and the Toronto's medical officer of health. And there's also, there's a bit of a strange uh, kind of fight going on between the Toronto public health officials and the Ontario public health officials mm-hmm. over what the city is allowed to do. Um, you know, the city I know has been lobbying the premier's office saying it's still crazy that we haven't reduced the number of people who can be in banquet halls. I think it's still 50 indoors and 100 outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, the province is saying, well, if, then you do an order. And the city is saying, we don't think we have the jurisdiction. You guys do it. And there's a few other cases like that where the city wants changes, that the pro- that wants the province to do the change. The province is saying the city do it. Hopefully that all gets worked out. I know there's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, there's a lot of power struggles and the stakes are high right now. I mean, a real sense of, of politicians putting down the muscle here. It doesn't happen often. Totally different jobs for all the politicians. Aren't you thinking that even when you look at the mayor? I mean, everybody who signed on did not sign on for this. And this is big stuff. Totally. And, uh, you know, we've seen the change in fortunes with, with Doug Ford, who had kind of a disastrous first year in office with was being booed at public events. Then, you know, through the summer, he was getting pretty high approval ratings because the, the war against COVID seemed to be won. Now things are swinging back and people are saying, like, did we do what we were supposed to? And I think the long lineups for testing that were in the news all the time really, really hurt him and his government because their testing is a provincial responsibility. They can't hang that on the city. But um, yeah, and Mayor Tory has been, you know, I think he's still quite popular, but definitely I think people will be looking at the city approach and saying, is there something different we should have done to to avoid what's happened now? Because it, it does feel like we're moving back towards, we're in a, kind of back to a partial lockdown now. But I think there is a real fear that we could be back to all of us staying in our houses and being told not to leave for any reason. And that, and then we have the economic. We were only beginning to just uncover under the debris the economic damage. And there was a sense there was more economic bodies buried down there. We haven't seen it all. And, you know, as this all is happening, there is the, the money factor from the city hall, from... The province, from individuals, people who are scared, are people going to be kicked out? And we're getting near another top of the month as we go through October. Never mind Halloween. Never mind Thanksgiving. How are people going to pay their bills? Yeah, I just uh, a little short time ago, I was talking to Tony Lennon, who represents the is it with the association representing Ontario Restaurant and Bars, and yeah, for them, it just looks like we're just. You know, they were seeing glimmers of hope, but hoping for more government help, but at least, you know, they can invite people back inside. And now they, I think they see the lockdown coming, and, and, and it just looks really, really, really grim for those people. David Ryder, thank you.
for joining Anytime. us today. You take care and try to have a good you week too. and get some sleep. You okay, thank, thank you. you. David Ryder with a news hangover after all the things that are happening. He's Toronto Star's City Hall Bureau Chief, helping us go through all the things that are happening from a city point of view. As he points out, there's a, a tussle of power between the health authorities in the city and the province and Premier Ford and the mass wearing and the and the new high numbers today. And welcome back as we cover this incredible day. It's been an incredible week, isn't it? I mean, really emotional, the news affecting us. And we watched the debate and then we talked about how it made us feel as Canadians. Now there is more advice and lockdowns. Doesn't look like we're going to have a expanding Thanksgiving, does it? at all. We have the city of Toronto telling people that perhaps they should stay home unless it's essential that they leave and they have to do something outside. And then we have Premier Doug Ford with the mandatory mask getting tough and the cases going up, a real worrisome feeler. And as we began the show, and this is still the feeling, the president of the United States with all the protections in the world, not in a high-risk area, like we've been looking at it, parts of our cities here. He had it all, and he's got the virus, and so does his wife. And then tonight, a real sadness and a sense of tension as we watch that president walk in and be flown to Walter Reed Hospital. And they're saying the word abundance of caution. But they said that with Boris Johnson, and he ended up in intensive care. And I'm flashing back on Ronald Reagan when he was shot, and then finding out, Decades later, that they were holding his beating heart in their hands in the hospital. And it was much more serious than we know. Lots of good wishes going out for the president, but it has been a week where he flouted the rules. And he he mentioned, he, he teased Joe Biden for wearing a mask, and now he has it. We also have some news before we do our next story. 11 positive coronavirus tests have been now traced to the presidential debate and also a, an investigation to see if it was spread at the Rose Garden celebration that was there to nominate the new Supreme Court judge. It has just been an eye popping um, amount of news. And during this presidential election, too, we're just watching it. There's just so much. We're going to go to Washington. And Lawrence Martin is joining us, Washington based public affairs columnist. You read him in The Globe and the author of 10 books. Lawrence Martin, welcome. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Good to be here. Lawrence, what does this feel like to you with all your experience? The word historical is being brought up as pretty, a pretty wave of emotion and a, a feeling of something that's impending and wondering what's going to happen as you watch that president walk in and be flown to a military hospital. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, another uh, traumatic uh, experience that uh, the United States is going through uh, this year, and uh, and culminating with this uh, incredible scene in uh, a month before an election. Um, I think you know the um, the American people will have some sympathy for their president, but the uh, the story is, as you were suggesting, that uh, mm-hmm. he brought a lot of this on himself by the fact that. Uh, he was. Um, he played down uh, the importance of the virus and of, of treatment for it. His attitude has been cavalier from from the outset, and so you know a lot of people saying saying he had it coming. You know, this is his uh, comeuppance. Uh, and uh, if there's a silver lining, I guess it sends a signal to the rest of the American population, many of whom 
you know, we're not taking uh, this um, COVID-19 all that seriously because in part of the words of the president, now they, they, they now they see that, uh, yeah, well, even he's getting it. Uh, so we better start uh, taking it seriously. It's true. Now we're getting more reporting about what happened at the debate. You know, the president's entourage wearing masks as they walked in, waving them away. I mean, you know, part of the protocol, and we heard from the center that there was a very low risk, but they were supposed to be tested. But apparently the president arrived too late. He wasn't tested. They didn't go through it all. And now there's other people testing positive. It's just going to unravel, Lawrence. It can't be good for the message the president is trying to get out there. Yeah, his entourage of the debate did not wear masks. Others did. And as you were saying, you know, he, he sort of mocked Joe Biden mm-hmm. in the debate for wearing, oh, you wear such a big mask, you wear it all the time. And, you know, like, I don't have to do that. Uh, it's not such a serious thing. And uh, this is have a, this will have uh, is devastating for Trump in the sense that, uh, you know, he he cannot run a, a normal campaign. He's far behind uh, in the polls already. He just had a, a terrible week with a revelation that he hardly pays anything in taxes. He did poorly in the debates. And now this, you know, he he wanted uh, Arlene to get moved this issue uh, of the coronavirus to the sidelines because that's mm-hmm. the one that's hurting him in the polls the most because the people feel that he's performed poorly on it. Well, now that this has happened, this is going to make coronavirus the upfront story uh, from here to the, the, the end of the month, which is uh, the end of the campaign. And so it puts him in a very, very difficult situation. Uh, the, the likelihood that the next two debates uh, will take place uh, is very much in doubt. The whole thing is a vindication for Joe Biden's position. Joe Biden's a guy who's been wearing a mask all the time, mm-hmm. who's been camp- doing a lot of his campaign virtually, who's been saying to the president all along, you have to take this more seriously. So Joe Biden's coming out looking, uh, looking very good in this whole thing. And there's a recklessness, and I'm, that word is being used in some of the coverage, and it's just true. That, that is the truth here, a, a, a disregard for other people's health. And there's Joe Biden having to test himself in that room with that yelling, spewing president going after him. I, I'm just looking at some of the coverage that's coming out in, in the last half hour, and there is a report that the the White House has serious concern about the president's condition tonight. And they are worried that his symptoms are not good. And they're worse than that of the First Ladies. You you know, when we get back down to the truth, other reporters are asking for a a, a deeper briefing from the White House. It's been hard to get the truth and a lot of information. And now the whole world is looking here. What kind of a dilemma is this for reporters? Well, you know, part of the problem with... uh being a, a reporter or a correspondent covering this the White House is that uh, you're very, very wary of uh, of what they're putting out, how much mm-hmm. truth is in it. You know, we, 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 there's, there's all, it's well documented, the, the actually the thousands of misrepresentations and falsehoods that's been put out by this White House. So whatever, what are they saying about the, uh, the condition of the president, how serious it is. So far, they've been letting on. It's not all that serious. It's mild, but he's going into the hospital for precautionary measures. But, you know, we don't know whether that's true or not. It could be very serious, and uh, we'll find out uh, in, in, the, in the next few days. Uh, but, 
yeah, the, play, the, the place will be on edge until uh, we do. It is. And, you know, and there there's reports from Walter Reed saying the president's in high spirits, cracking jokes. Well, we heard that about Reagan and then we heard just how close he was. So we are wise to be skeptical and people are optimistic. Nobody wants to see anybody have to go through this terrible disease. But this is a moment and the world is watching here. You know, uh, the conversation and you were writing about it as well. The conversation earlier this week was. What does America stand for after that debate? What's happened to America? And now the president of the United States of America has this disease. It's a, it's a really surreal moment, isn't it? Well, you know, um, it's it's been a year in which you know you start off with uh, the uh, the Trump impeachment, and then mm-hmm. you go to the coronavirus, and then you go to this uh, incredible amount of uh, racial violence uh, on the streets. Um, and now you have the president going to the hospital. Um, you have the economic uh, uh, tumult, and uh, you, you've never seen a, a year like this uh, in the United States. And uh, it's about to um, it's about to uh, terminate with this election, and there'll be uh, likely very little campaigning uh, in the next uh, in the next few weeks, at least, at least traditional campaigning. Um, but you know, in terms of the president's health, we uh, we have to bear in mind that uh, the, although he is uh, over seventy and although he's mm-hmm. overweight, which puts him in a more vulnerable category, it's still, you know, uh, as doctors say, the, the the odds are very good that uh, most people in that in in his group uh, do recover from that. So I think uh, there's a, there's an uh, there's an optimism uh, there, but uh, one can never be sure. And, you know, there's another part of it, too, as we talk about them. I use the word recklessness again. We're finding reporting that they knew for a while that Hope Hicks had it. And then he went to the fundraiser knowing that he'd probably be exposed. I mean, a lot of these things he's going to have to answer for. Yes, I think there'll be uh, a little bit of sympathy for him uh, for uh, mm-hmm. in the initial days. But uh you know, I think the uh, the attitude. If you if you go through the Twitter sphere today, you'll see that uh, you know a lot of people saying, "Well, I hope he gets better," but uh, you know he 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 brought this on his own. You know, this is a president who's hoisted on his own petard with this thing because he's the guy who was so dismissive of it, and so uh, that sympathy will not uh, will not be like the sympathy we saw with uh, Boris Johnson, who uh, mm-hmm. the British Prime Minister went to hospital, and uh, if you look at his. Uh, Court numbers, they went up when he went to hospital, and uh, and his uh, handling of the coronavirus received his highest approval rating when he went into the hospital. Ironically, enough. yeah, he was a changed person. In fact, I think he named his child and gave it a middle name after one of the doctors. And I think he had he had a a moment, as they say, a come to Jesus moment. Lawrence Martin, thank you. It's great to have you from Washington. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Lawrence Martin. Washington-based public affairs columnist. You can read him in The Globe and author of 10 books. It was great to have somebody with all his experience join us tonight as we watch this moment. It's historic right now. It's historic because it's the biggest threat to a sitting president in, in history, I believe, in recent history, recent history.
It takes a village to talk about the virus. And today we're going to talk to somebody who was lucky enough to get a huge shout out this week from the Premier of the province. It goes out to Nicole Creamy, who is a McMaster University medical student and was called a champion by the Premier because she's taken her time to write a children's book about the pandemic. Nicole is joining us now. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me on your show, Arlene. All right, Nicole, where'd you get the idea to do this? Um, The idea came when I was first sent home from medical school. So when classes were converted to being online, I was quite disappointed because I couldn't see my classmates or get any hands-on experiences anymore. But what made me okay with it was the fact that I knew what was happening and I knew that it was for the best. And so immediately my heart kind of went out to the younger kids who didn't have the same understanding as I have. And I was able to kind of put myself in their shoes and recalling the time that I was just six years old during the SARS pandemic. And I felt really bad because I don't know how I would have reacted had I been sent home when I was just six years old. So I wanted to use my talents and use my time to be able to do something that would hopefully make a little bit of a difference for them and make this a little bit of an easier time. Well, what happens in Patty in the pandemic? How do you tell this story to children? So in Patty and the Pandemic, she kind of introduces herself as one of your pals, and she walks you through her experience from going from being a normal little girl to suddenly tackling this coronavirus, which she describes as the bad bug. So she doesn't kind of bore children with the details of virology and everything. She just talks about what it is, how it spreads, and exactly what she's doing to keep herself and her friends safe. So the idea is that it's not supposed to be scary or fear enticing, but it's supposed to be empowering and making kids want to be more like Patty and want to be more like her pals and join this community of really fighting the coronavirus together. Because whether you're six years old or 36 years old, that's what we're all doing is we're coming together as a community, as a province and a country to get rid of this and try to keep each other safe. How did you get into the mind of a child in this? How did you know where to go and what would work with them? Um, I don't know. I I kind of always consider myself to be a child at heart. <laughs> Good answer. I mean, <laughs> I study a lot, but I also like to have fun and I can be silly. And it's been kind of a natural thing for me. Um, my friends always kind of appreciate my funny cards that are always just continuous rhyming verses. It's something that I'm notoriously known for doing. So it was something that just kind of came naturally to me. And at first, I actually just wrote the verses literally in the span of 35 minutes as my dad was setting up a bonfire one weeknight. And then obviously, we went through many, many editing phases. But it was something that was just like a natural fun pastime for me rather than something that, you know, I really kind of had to embody. Have you had any reaction from parents on how it would help? Because so many parents are just befuddled on how do they explain this extraordinary moment to a child? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, even before the book actually came out, a lot of parents were telling me about their struggles. And then I would tell them about the book and they would tell me how it was exactly what they needed. So that made the process really worth it for me. And now I've just been absolutely overwhelmed by the positive response from parents. All of the kind, kind messages that they've been sending me have just been making my heart swell. Honestly, sometimes I'll just like show people in my family and like I've even teared up a couple of times because some of the stories are just so sweet about how they want to use this book to explain to their children what's happening or even parents that have newborns during this time want to keep it as a memorabilia for them 
to kind of remember what this time was like. So it's nice to know that all of this hard work is really touching different people in many different ways. You got a shout out from the premier absolute champion. And that (laughs) is a big compliment. How did you feel when that happened? Oh, that was that was really, really wonderful. You know, you put a lot of work into something like this and you don't expect that kind of recognition. And the fact that someone who's been working as hard as Doug Ford has, um, the fact that he wanted to take the time out of his day and use his airtime during that conference to give me a shout out was just it made me elated. I'm just so grateful for him and for his support and also for all of the work that he's been doing for everyone, because I mean, I can write a book, but he's really He's really putting in the time to kind of keep keep all of us safe. And you're going to give all the proceeds to charity. And what charity would it be? Yeah, so all of the proceeds are going to Face the Future Foundation. So I have um, I have an entire page about the foundation on my website. But essentially, what they do is they send some of the top surgeons from around the world to underserved countries in order to provide life-changing and life-saving surgeries for kids that wouldn't be able to access those surgeries otherwise. And all of the surgeons that participate in these service trips are donating their time for free. They often pay for their own flights and sometimes even bring their own supplies. So the thing I like about it is that, yes, I donated my time to make this book, but it is nothing compared to the amount of time and effort that these surgeons have been donating over the past um, 24 years, I think it's been. So it's a very worthwhile charity, and I definitely recommend everyone checks it out. All right. Very, very quick. Last question, but an important one. I mean, there's a lot of attention on this already uh, as the virus infiltrates our lives. But I'm talking to you on a day where the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, has tested positive. Looks like there's um, some kind of an outbreak in the White House and also in the province of Ontario. More cases. It's not going away. It seems to be lighting up like that bonfire a little bit today. How do you feel Mm -hmm. being a medical student and somebody who's written a book for children about the virus? I mean, well, first of all, I'm thankful that my book is out and I'm looking forward to getting it to everybody as fast as possible, hoping that it'll at least make things a little bit better for the children. But as a medical student and just as a civilian in general, it's just kind of a reminder of how much we all really need to step up and take this seriously and try to kind of follow the rules as difficult as it can be, especially with Thanksgiving coming around and just try to socially distance until we can get this under control. All right. Where can we get Patty and the Pandemic? Patty and the Pandemic is available on pattyandthepandemic.org. So right on the homepage, there's a button for you to click and purchase it. And then you can also, if you don't have any kids to give the book to, or you've already purchased a book and want to make further donations, there's a donate page where you can donate directly to the foundation as well. And a hundred percent of what you pay over there will be going to the foundation. Nicole Creamy, thank you. Congratulations. I hope Patty has a a life and I hope there's a couple of sequels where she's (laughs) out of isolation. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And Nicole Creamy, again, the author of Patty and the Pandemic, McMaster University medical student who got a really a tremendous vote of confidence from Premier Doug Ford. That's the podcast for today. You can hear On Point Live on the radio Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 10 p.m. I'm Arlene Bonin, filling in for Alex Pearson.